Welcome or welcome back to the Company of the Cat. Hi! Today's video is an analysis video, my opinion about Daenerys and her future. It's not a theory, but there will be predictions specifically about the whole burning cities and turning evil and mad thingy that became a pretty popular idea after the finale of Game of Thrones. But I will also talk about the very peculiar state of Daenerys in the fandom's collective mind. I'm guessing, being a Song of Ice and Fire fans, you would expect me to talk about very sensitive topics. However, I still think a trigger warning is necessary, just in case, since I will discuss some of Daenerys' life events that people very often just scarcely acknowledge and mostly brush over. I find that simply saying she had difficulties or she had a hard life is the understatement of the century and I feel very uncomfortable when this happens. This video is mostly on understanding Daenerys as a character and why she has such a weird place in the fandom's collective mind. It is going to be big, so if you do sit through the video, don't forget to like and subscribe. Sadly, I cannot talk about Dani without talking about her portrayal in the TV series. There is no other character that has been affected as much as Daenerys by the car crash we call Game of Thrones. By the way, <laughs> Game of Thrones is amazing, especially the last season, if you watched it as a comedy. I watched the last episode with two of my best friends and we were laughing like there was no tomorrow. It was great and I would recommend it. So, book Danny and series Danny have been mashed together, resulting in a weird hybrid character. Obviously, not everyone has this image of her, but a sizable portion of the fandom does. Or at least from what I see, especially people who started reading the books after they were introduced to the TV series. What I mean by that? Danny, John and Rob were the only main characters whose aging up in the series affected the way we view them. A lot. Way more than the rest. Kit didn't look 15, Richard didn't look 15, and Amelia obviously didn't look 13-14 at the beginning of Game of Thrones. Yes, she's very cute and on the smaller and younger side, but she looked her age, meaning early 20s. Yes, Sansa too was slightly older, but she was still a kid. Same goes for Arya and Bran. We got to know them since they were kids. And Theon was a young adult in both medias, even though slightly older in the series. Kit, even at the beginning of the series, where things were pretty faithful in the books, never kicked as John. John is a character that cannot translate well on screen, in my opinion. He doesn't talk a lot, but in the books we do have his POV, so we know him and the way he thinks and feels. We do not need him to talk or have different facial expressions. So John was very often bland and boring, and no, the problem was not Kit Harrington's acting. It was that his is not a character that works from a third person's POV. Daenerys, on the other hand, is a fantastic character for a show. Apart from a small problem, which I will address in a moment. Her show storyline was fairly similar to her book ones from about 3-4 seasons. Yes, there were some changing and skips, but the character was there. Her essence was there. On top of that, they picked a very attractive actress for the role, and people just stuck with her. Emilia, unlike Kit, became Daenerys. The show took advantage of the very, very attractive Emilia Clarke and promoted the shit out of her appearance many times, even when she was not entirely comfortable with that. She became Daenerys, but a grown-up, more ruthless version of Daenerys, with different qualities than book Daenerys. And therein lies the problem. Daenerys obviously is not a character that can be played by a kid. It is out of the freaking question. Book Daenerys is introduced to us at 1314. She was sold as a slave, right, by her brother who abused the crap out of her. At 14, she is a child. Thing is, many readers, when they imagine Dani, they imagine a person way closer to her series counterparts and not the one actually described. Even if they do not picture Amelia Clark 100%, her Daenerys is the blueprint. 
Serge Daenerys book fanart. 85 to 90% of them, if not more, are heavily inspired by Emilia's Danny. Age, likeness, you name it. People do not depict her as a kid because it would be disgusting, since many of these art pieces depict explicit scenes that cannot be drawn starring a freaking kid. It also doesn't help that in Game of Thrones, she was so sexualized and many of her scenes sensationalized. A lot. By the way, no say to any artist, they can imagine Daenerys as they like, and most of Song of Ice and Fire artworks out there are crazy beautiful, and these artists are very, very talented. And some of my favorite art depicts Danny looking older. I only brought it up because I wanted to point out how people's perception of Daenerys does not align with a description of her book counterpart and is heavily influenced by the series. Same in the graphic novels. Because of the explicit storyline, she is always drawn as clearly an adult. Something that has affected the way a big portion of the fans talk, perceive and picture her, in my opinion. And I, personally, am not a fan of this grown-up and make it sexy Daenerys, because it affects and degrades her story and character. Daenerys isn't a hot and sexy girl boss gaslight gatekeep character who burns whoever doesn't agree with her, and she shouldn't be. She was barely 14 and is now barely 16. Danny was bold after Drogo's pyre and later on short here. She looks very young and willowy, she is not a grown woman. Danny is dreaming of dancing and twirling in the stars and laughing. She is friends with a 10-year-old and other teen girls around her age. They tell stories and laugh. She is sexually active and full of hormones, but is also afraid of and mistrust the men she is attracted to. She is a twin. There is no other way but to describe Daenerys saying Khal Drogo could be cruel as well, and there was never a man more dangerous. She had come to love him all the same, as sad and messed up. It's not just Daenerys liking bad boys. This aging up affects everything, every single aspect of her character. Her actions are criticized way more or without thinking and taking into consideration her age. The things that have happened to her are seen as bad, but not as dramatic as they really are, considering she was 14 and her decisions are held up to a crazy high standard in comparison to many other characters, many of them way older and more experienced than Daenerys. Thank fuck this last year's People started to understand Sansa and realized it began as a very sheltered 11-year-old. But Danny is still constantly being portrayed or imagined as older and it has an impact on her story and personality. It changes Daenerys. Many times I have stumbled upon posts and videos talking about the books and they bring up things that happened in the series to explain and support opinions and theories that without Game of Thrones someone wouldn't be able to back up and of course they talk about her as if she is not a teen. The situation with her wedding to his dad is only one instance where we see a huge difference in her characterization and is one that I have very often seen people mixing up with what actually happened in the books. Daenerys in the series was portrayed as older and more merciless and cocky than she actually is in the books and they removed many of her good qualities. Even though some of her measures in the novels are very harsh, let's not downplay the actions she punished the slavers for, please. If we have to use the show, especially the finale and the last seasons, to support theories of her future in the novels, then something is missing, otherwise only the books would be enough to support them. At some point, a rumor was circulating around the internet about Martin saying that the finale is similar, but the path towards that ending would be different after the series ending. We do not have any comment by Martin saying that. On the contrary, he had told us over and over again, especially these last two years, that he was out of the loop and his ending is constantly shifting because of his gardener-style writing. They started saying around 2014-15 that it will be probably broadly the same ending, but that obviously changed drastically around 2018, 
when it was clear that Martin was not close to finishing wins, let alone dream, and didn't even read the scripts for the last two seasons. In the end, they said that their finale is gonna, in fact, be different, and it will be better this way since they are not gonna spoil the books. The King Brown bit is the only one I have seen people involved with the series confirm as most likely accurate since the idea came from Martin. I have seen actors and D&D mentioning it, but that's all. Even if this is the case, I'm 99.9% sure it's not gonna be like the king we saw in the series, but a green seal working kind of thing. George, when people asked him for the 20th time about the ending, said the classic Scarlett O'Hara bit. How many kids does Scarlett O'Hara have? At the end of the Gone with the Wind book, she had three kids, unlike the movie where she had one. Depending on the media you are referring to, the ending changes. As our author said, it was one ending, it wasn't the ending. And it makes sense, D&D almost completely removed the magical aspect from the series. They removed magic from a fantasy series. Because they didn't enjoy it that much. They also removed many of the plotlines, and three major ones were connected to Danny's. And all in all, the medium is different, and the majority of the events do not align with those in the books. However, Daenerys' character arc is constantly tied to the show, and people not only bring up the whole George Martin said, blah blah blah, but also use her adult series portrayal, which obviously alters her character, reactions, decisions, and motives. Clearly, everyone can have their own interpretation of the character. I'm not an Asoyaf cop. But at least admit that it's a headcanon and not based solely on the novels, but also on other media. And using the show's version of Daenerys to explain her book counterpart is not it, if you ask me. Okay, yes, but this character arc of Daenerys' tragic downfall was in line with Martin's storytelling, right? Yes, but actually no. Martin very often says something I like to use when I'm trying to explain the whole shocking twist everywhere thing and the, oh, George loves twists. This is why this person is that one and this one, the other one, which personally I do not agree with and I'm not a fan of. It's easy to do things that are shocking or unexpected, but they have to grow out of characters. They have to grow out of situations. Otherwise, it's just being shocking for being shocking. Martin doesn't do this out of nowhere twists. There are many shocking things in the books. But the sad part is that you see them coming. The execution is the shocking part, and the one that is written in an unexpected way, not the events themselves. Tywin plotting against Rob and actually succeeding was something quite expected, especially after Rob's wedding. But the execution of the plan was shocking. The extent of the Red Wedding was shocking, not the fact that Tywin devised a horrible plan to defeat his enemy. They are shocking because we see and experience the impact they have on the characters, Characters we are familiar with and attached to, and this is the fun part of storytelling, this is why we like movies, books, etc. Similarly, the subvert expectations technique. Doing something just to say, ha, you didn't expect this, when it is just out of nowhere, isn't subverting expectations. It's just lazy storytelling. Mad Queen Daenerys in the series is the second, because even though they had Daenerys doing things that never occurred in the novels, the series never portrayed them as cruel or as unnecessary evil, something very often commented on in the books, by the way, but as badass and cool. And this is something I really didn't like in general about Game of Thrones. War is portrayed so freaking sensationalized, unlike the books, where we see that war brings the worst out of people, and it's not actually something as heroic as people say. This making Daenerys the bad guy, based on scenes they made up or changed to look cool, this isn't subverting expectations, it's just bad writing. The reason they made Daenerys turn evil were not consistent with the series up to that point, or Martin's ideas in general. They made her mad because, one, big allegedly here, 
allegedly, they were tension between the cast and D&D. And from many of the stories circulating, they were petty when writing characters. They had issues with the actors portraying them. Again, allegedly. Two, and most important one, in my opinion, we had a Targaryen less. Young Grief. They split Young Grief's storyline, merging half of it with Daenerys and the other half with Jon's. They named Jon Aegon, and they made Varys help him because in the books Varys supports Young Grief, but in the series he was with Danny along with Tyrion, so they had to make them somehow betray her, and making Danny mad was one way. Since Varys was never portrayed the way he is in the books, they needed something to make him defect. Jon Con is also absent, so Jorah has grayscale, a person very much on Danny's side, but it's being hinted heavily in the books that Jon Con will be responsible for the burning of King's Landing, so they changed that to Danny too. 3. Euron is wreaking havoc at the Ritz in the novels, but oh wait, we do not have a good Euron or time, so Danny will burn them. So people can have an excuse to ditch her, pushing her towards madness. And for, I am pretty sure, they wanted to outsmart the audience and pull a twist just to make us think we are dumb. But we're also lazy, so they came with something that could work under some circumstances, but they blew it. And now they look dumb. Having addressed all these issues, let's see who the actual Daenerys is in the books. The slender twin who grew up abused by and consequently terrified of her brother. Daenerys is sold to Drogon. She is a slave child bride at 13-14 and she knows it. 14 is not the legal age for marriage, even in Martin's world. She was also very much aware that Illyrio's servants are anything but. They are slaves, they even have collars. He's so rich and powerful because he's also benefiting from a horrendous system built on blood. This guy and her brother were down on selling her to the people Illyrio is taking slaves from. They even gave her a collar when she met with Drogo. Are you sure that Carl Drogo liked his women this young? She has had her blood. She is old enough for the Carl, Illyrio told him not for the first time. He can have her tomorrow if he likes, her brother said. He glanced over at Danny and she lowered her eyes. So long as he pays the price. Drogo is so rich that even his slaves wear golden collars. A hundred thousand medra at his kalasar, and his palace in Vestothrak has two hundred rooms and doors of solid silver. When she was clean, the slaves helped her from the water and toweled her dry. Last of all came the collar, a heavy golden torque emblazoned with ancient Valyrian glyphs. I don't know, she said at last, her voice breaking, tears welled in her eyes. I do, he said sharply. We go home with an army, sweet sister, with Khal Drogo's army. That is how we go home. If you must wed him and bet him for that, you will. He smiled at her. I'd let his whole kalasar fuck you, if need be, sweet sister. All 40,000 men and their horses too, if that was what it took to get me and my army. Be grateful it is only Drogo. In time you may even learn to like him. Now dry your eyes, Illyrio is bringing him over and he will not see you crying. And these are only some examples of Daenerys' situation when she was 13, 14 years old. When she finally married Drogo, not only was she afraid, she was so desperate she missed talking even to Viserys and Illyrio. Drogo was abusing her and assaulting her every day. She was so desperate that she was thinking of unaliving herself. Even the knights brought no relief. Khal Drogo ignored her when they rode, even as he had ignored her during their wedding, and spent his evenings drinking with his warriors and blood riders, racing his prizes horses, watching women dance and men die. Yet every night, sometime before the dawn, Drogo would come to her tent and wake her in the dark to ride her as relentlessly as he rode the stallion. She would use her pillow to muffle her cries of pain. When he was done, he would close his eyes and begin to snore softly. And Danny would lie beside him, her body bruised and sore, hurting too much for sleep. Day followed by day, and night followed by night, until Danny knew she could not endure a moment longer. 
she would kill herself rather than go on, she decided one night. I am bringing all this up because the amount of downplaying of what a 14-year-old Daenerys was going through is crazy. Daenerys was desperate, she was desperate enough, and she tried to find at least something to make her situation better. Learning to love Drogo, who, that wasn't love, but learning to love Drogo, was the only way to make this whole torture a tad more bearable. Daenerys was a slave bride, a kid, abused, and she still tried to help others as best as she could. Whatever power Daenerys had before the pyre and after her wedding came solely from the fact that she was pleasing Drogo. And it's hypocritical to bring up every cruel action she took, even though necessary, but completely dismiss the fact that Daenerys, even when she herself was a glorified slave, tried to help others. She was empathic and perceptive enough to do that. Burning Miri is something that is often attributed to Dany losing her patient, being cruel and supporting Drogo. Daenerys tried to help Miri, as well as the other women she stopped from being awarded in front of her husband, who she herself was afraid of and described as the most dangerous man. Miri didn't kill Drogo, she did that to an unborn child. If she did it to Drogo, I would personally clap. Instead, she tried to take revenge without thinking that she, Daenerys, and all the women Daenerys tried to save, again as best as she could, would have an even worse fate. And we know this, because it happened, it happened to Eroe. Daenerys, a 14-year-old pregnant girl who later suffered a miscarriage, tried to save Drogo not because she loved him per se, but because without Drogo, all the women she helped herself and Miri included would suffer Eroes' fate, being gang awarded and killed. I cannot say that I do not understand Miri because that would also be a lie. But downplaying and or shifting what was actually going on just to prove that Daenerys is the bad guy of the series is not only inaccurate, but also disturbing. When Dani came up with the idea for the pyre, she knew what she was doing, I talked about it in my videos about astral projection and dreams. Daenerys was listening to the stars and the flames talking to her, calling her. Wing shadowed her fever dreams. In the whole scene where she is dreaming before the pyre, she knows what she has to do. She wakes up knowing. The first thing she said was, bring me the eggs. She didn't burn Miri because she was cruel. She even said, I don't want your screams. She knew that with Drogo gone, every single one of these women and herself were doomed. She didn't have any other protection or idea, apart from the fact that she was sensing the eggs and dreaming about them and dragons since the start of this chapter. It is obvious she had prophetic dreams. Flying, she thought. I had wings. I was flying. But it was only a dream. And we all know what flying and dreams paired with magic means. If Dani hadn't done this, Miri would have died. This is a fact. The rest of the Dothraki would have abused her, assaulted her, and beat her to death. The whole situation is so sad and cruel that Danny burning her along with herself in the funeral pyre is arguably way more merciful. If you are reading Daenerys chapters in A Game of Thrones and you think but killing Miri was cruel and unjustified, don't forget that Miri admitted she killed the baby in the belly of a 14-year-old slave bride. She didn't do anything to Drogo. You can empathize and understand Miri, hell knows I do, but refusing to look at the other side, you are missing the whole point by a mile. Daenerys, after the pyre, released Drogo's slaves. It was the first thing she did. She gave them the choice to follow her as free men or do whatever they want. She was free and so were the people who had the same fate as her. Daenerys empathizes with them because she understands them. She isn't just a mad dragon lady who wants the Iron Throne. Contrarywise, she has the Stannis Syndrome. I don't want it, but it is my duty. She needs to honor her family. Dany over and over again thinks about how she wants a family but she is the last dragon and it's your duty to rule. 
If you justify and understand Stannis burning people who do not want to worship Rolor, thinking about sacrificing Edric Storm, who is a kid, and burning Septs and Weirwoods, then I think not justifying and understanding Danny is plain hypocrisy. So let's move to the Slaver's Bay campaign, because this is where most of the events that many view as controversial happen. First of all, let's have a look at the obvious. Daenerys is a teen without the proper education in politics and warfare, and despite all this, she has achieved way more than other people. And no, it doesn't just have to do with the dragons, mostly because she doesn't use them. She used them once, and you know what? Good! Let's go to Astapor to see what exactly was going on and why she said, fuck Westeros for now. The whole issue began when they were looking for an army because the dragons were still quite small. Even Aegon, Rhaenys and Visenya had an army and they had three huge dragons. Balerion was a freaking flying fire-speeding battleship and both Meraxes and Vhagar were very big. Jorah was the one who suggested the Unsullied as an idea, while Baristan said, no, this isn't a good idea, going to Westeros with a slave army will turn the Westerosi against you. Going to Astapor was mostly to inspect. They weren't sure what exactly they were gonna do. When they arrived, we saw the Plaza of Pride, and instead of being rainbow-colored, it was just red, which, boring, built entirely with red bricks and with a huge bronze statue of the Giscari Harpy. Yet the symbol of the old empire still endured here. Though this bronze master had a heavy chain dangling from her talons, an open monocle at either end. The Harpy of Gis had a thunderbolt in her claws. This is the Harpy of Astapor. Heavy chain. Great. Spoiler alert, they weren't e-boys. There we meet with Krasnys Monoclos, surrounded by slave girls, one of them being the approximately 10-year-old Miss Sunday. Krasnys, unaware of Daenerys being able to understand him, repeatedly insults her, something that Daenerys simply ignores. She doesn't lose her cool and is one of the best scenes to judge her character by. She could get past the fact that Krasnys wasn't acceptably offensive, but then she learns not just about the Unsullied, the main export of Astapor, that Krasnys refers to as creatures, by the way, but also about the fighting pits and slavery in these cities in general. They are chosen young for size and speed and strength, the slave told her. They begin the training at five, every day they train from dawn to dusk until they have mastered the sword sword, the shield and the three spears. The training is most rigorous, your grace, only one boy in three survives it. This is well known. Among the Unsullied, it is said that on the day they win their spiked cup, the worst is done with for no duty that will ever fall to them could be as hard as their training. Krasnys Monoclos supposedly spoke no word of the common tongue, but he bobbed his head as he listened, and from time to time gave the slave girl a poke with the end of his lash. Tell her that these have been standing here for a day and a night with no food nor water. Tell her that they will stand until they drop if I should command it, and when 999 have collapsed to die upon their bricks, the lash will stand there still and never move until his own death claims him. Such is their courage, tell her that. Inform the savages that we call this obedience. Others may be stronger or quicker or larger than the Unsullied. Some few may even knuckle the skills with sword and spear and shield, but nowhere between these seas will you ever find any more obedient. Afterwards, we see Krasnys again being rude towards them, but Danny is still not giving a penny about what he thinks. She is still cool as a cucumber. Looking at the soldiers, Daenerys sees people of every ethnic group and color ranging from 14 to 20. And I would like us to keep these ages in mind, please, because it's very important. Krasnys is still calling the Unsullied every name under the sun while proclaiming how they do not fear death because they are not men. He started to hurt one of them to show how they do not feel pain and how they do everything they are told. He continues to the next one where we have this scene. Tell the good master that I see how strong his Unsullied are and how bravely they suffer pain. 
Krasnys chuckled when he heard the words in Valyrian. Tell this ignorant whore of a westerner that courage has nothing to do with it. The good master says that it was not courage, your grace. Tell her to open these eyes of hers. He begs you attend this carefully, your grace. Krasnys moved to the next eunuch in line, a towering youth with the blue eyes and flaxen hair of Lys. Your sword, he said. The eunuch knelt and skipped the blade and offered it up hill first. It was a sword sword made more for stabbing than for slashing, but the edge looks razor sharp. Stand, Krasnys commanded. Your worship. The eunuch stood and Krasnys monoclos slid the sword slowly up his torso, leaving a thin red line across his belly and between his ribs. Then he jabbed the sword point in beneath a pink white nipple and began to work it back and forth. What is he doing? Danny demanded of the girl, as their blood ran down the man's chest. Tell the cow to stop her bleeding said Krasnys, without walking to the translation. This will do him no great harm. Men have no need of nipples, eunuchs even less so. The nipple hung by a thread of skin. He slashed and sent it trembling to the bricks, leaving behind a round red eye, copious weeping blood. The eunuch did not move until Krasnys offered him back his short hilt first. Here, I'm done with you. This one is pleased to have served you. Krasnys turned back to Danny. They feel no pain, you see. How can that be? She demanded to the scribe. The wine of courage was the answer he gave her. It is no true wine at all, but made from deadly nightshade, blood fly larva, blood lotus root, and many secret things. They drink it with every meal from the day they are cut, and with its passing year, feel less and less. It makes them fearless in battle, nor can they be tortured. Tell the savage her secret are safe with the unsullied. So they are also dragged all the time. They take five years old and train them so brutally that after that they say the hard part is over, and in this army we see fourteen years old. There are other ways to tempt men, beside the flesh, Arstan Whitebeard objected, when she was done. Men, yes, but not the unsullied. Plunders interesting them no more than rape. They own nothing but their weapons. We do not even permit their names. No names? Danny frowned at the little scribe. Can that be what the good master said? They have no names? It is so, your grace. Krasny stopped in front of the Giscari, who might have been his taller fitter brother, and flicked his lash at a small bronze disc on the short belt at his feet. There is his name. The slaver turned to the unsullied. What is your name? He demanded. This one's name is Red Flea, your worship. Tell her all their names are such. Krasnys demanded the girl. It reminds them that by themselves they are vermin. The name discs are thrown in an empty cask at duty's end, and it's done plucked up again at random. They completely dehumanize them. They do not consider them people at all. It is not as if they just think of them as inferior humans. And this is the main export of Astapor, brick and blood breed Astapor and brick and blood its people. The good masters brag about the fact that they will slay infants all the same. They have trained them this brutally and effectively. To win his spiked cap, an unsullied must go to the slave march with a silver mark, find some welling newborn and kill it before its mother's eyes. In this way we make certain that there is no weakness left in them. She was feeling faint. The hit she tried to tell herself. You take a babe from its mother's arm. Kill it as he watches and pay for her pain with a silver coin? When the translation was made for him, Krasnys Monaclos laughed out loud. What a soft mewling fool this one is. Tell the whore of Westeros that the mark is for the child's owner, not the mother. The unsullied are not permitted to steal. He tapped his whip against his leg. Tell her that few ever felt the test. The dogs are harder for them, it must be said. We give its boy a puppy on the day that he is cut. At the end of the first years, he is required to strangle it and any who cannot are killed and fed to the surviving dogs. It makes for a good, strong lesson, we find. This is the time where Danny starts to get kinda pissed, but she still keeps calm. After her conversation with Baristan, we see Krasnys being an insulting piece of crap like before, stating that women are weak and cannot decide for themselves. After he stated that he would gladly sleep with her, 
he brought up the fighting pits and described the day's spectacle. A bear and three small boys. One boy will be rolled in honey, one in blood, and one in rotting fish, and she may wager on which the bear will eat first. After that, Danny takes her leave while saying to the Dothraki to not use the whips in this town, since they have heard enough of this sound. Danny said that she needs to see, to witness the whole extent of the atrocities inside the walls. Daenerys' reactions, we will see in that moment, was not impulsive at all. And it was not just because she wanted an army either. Do you know what it is like to be sold squire? I do. My brother sold me to Khal Drogo for the promise of a golden crown. Well, Drogo crowned him in gold, though not as he had wished, and I... My son and stars made a queen of me, but if he had been a different man, it might have been much otherwise. Do you think I have forgotten how it felt to be afraid? And this is what Daenerys think of herself about having a temper. According to her, she being frustrated with Baristan, explaining slavery to her as an outsider, is a dragon's temper. She wanted to cry when she returned to the ship, and she hadn't even seen the punished slaves yet. And that brings us to the next day, when Daenerys had the plan down, and even though she had doubts, she marched to the city, passing the Plaza of Punishment. The good masters placed them so they will be the first thing a new slave sees upon entering the city, Missandei told her as they came to the plaza. At first glimpse, Danny thought their skin was striped like the sources of the Drogo's nigh. Then she rolled her silver nearer and saw the raw red flesh underneath the crawling black stripes. Flies. Flies and maggots. The rebellious slaves had been peeled like a man might peel an apple, in a long, curling stripe. One man had an arm black with flies, from finger to elbow, and red and white beneath. Krasnys Monaclos had his fellows were older to greet her. Other well-born Astapori stood in knots behind them, sipping wine from silver flutes as slaves circulated among them. Krasnys had a slave help her from her saddle. His own hands were full, one clutched his tokar, while the other held an ornate whip. They were drinking wine and talking and waiting next to nailed slaves. By the way, the word tokar is always in a tilted font in the Astapor chapters. The tokar is not something we see frame men in general wedding. It's an article of clothing only the slave masters wear. It was not a garment meant for any man who had to work. The tokar was a master's garment, a sign of wealth and power. When we see the word is always associated with slaves being mistreated, slavers, whips, you get the point. Not every Frigis Kari person wears a tokar. They are very impractical and worn only by those privileged enough to have slaves doing pretty much everything for them because of the garment's cut. Keep that in mind. She sees people wearing tokars, men and women from the slaver families of the city. We do not see random freeborn wearing them and we also do not see any kid wearing them because I'm pretty sure if Danny saw a kid with a slave of their own, she would comment on it. Tokers in the Astapor chapters in A Storm of Swords are only worn by men and women that do slave trade and training. The tokar is not for men who work and the fridge of the tokar signifies a person's status. Danny turned the whip in her hand, such a light thing to bear such weight. Danny mounted her silver. She could feel her heart thumping in her chest. She felt desperately afraid. Was this what my brother would have done? She wondered if Prince Rhaegar had been this anxious when he saw the usurper's host formed up across the trident with all their banners floating on the wind. She stood in the stirrups and raised the harpy's fingers above her head for all the unsullied to see. It is done, she cried at the top of her lungs. You are mine. She gave the mare her heels and galloped along the first rank, holding the fingers high. You are the dragons now. You are brought and paid for. It is done. She glimpsed old Grasdan, turned his grey head sharply. He hears me speak Valyrian. The other slavers were not listening. They crowded around Krasnys and the dragon shouting advice. Though the Astapori yanked and tugged, Drogon would not budge of the leader. 
Smoke rose gray from his open jaws and his long neck curled and straightened as he snapped at the slaver's face. It is time to cross the trident, Danny thought, as he wheeled and rode her silver back. Her blood riders moved in close around her. You are in difficulty, she observed. He will not come, Krasny said. There is a reason. A dragon is no slave. And Danny swept the last down as hard as he could across the slaver's face. Krasny screamed and staggered back, the blood running red down his cheeks into his perfumed beard. The harpy's finger had torn his features half to pieces with one slash, but she did not pause to contemplate the ruins. Dragon, she sang out loudly, sweetly, all her fears forgotten. Dracaris. The black dragon spread his wings and roared. A lance of swirling dark flame took Krasny full in the face. Then the plaza of punishment blew apart into blood and chaos. The good masters were shrinking and stumbling, shoving one another aside and tripping over the fringes of their talkers in their haste. Agos sat calmly, notching arrows to his bowstring and sending them at talkers. Silver, gold or plain, he cared nothing for the fringe. Spears, Danny heard one astapori shout. It was Grasdan, all Grasdan in his talker heavy with pearls. Unsullied, defeat us, stop them, defend your masters, spears, swords. When Rakaro put an arrow through his mouth, the slaves holding his head and chair broke and ran, dumping him unceremoniously on the ground. The old man crawled to the first rank of eunuchs, his blood pooling on the bricks. The Ansali did not do much as look down to watch him die. Rank on rank on rank, they stood and did not move. The goods have heard my prayer. Ansali, her silver gold braid flying behind her, her belt seeming with every single stride. Slay the good masters, slay the soldiers, Slay every man who wears a toker or holds a whip, but harm no child under twelve, and strike the chains of every slave you see. She raised the harpy's finger in the air, and then she flung the skirts aside. Freedom, she sang out. Dracaris. Dracaris, they shouted back, the sweetest words she ever heard. Dracaris. And all around them, slavers ran and sobbed and begged and died, and the dusty air was filled with spears and fire. And after the scene, what happened was what always happened. She freed them and offered them to follow her if they wish. And guess what? Many people did, obviously. First of all, Daenerys didn't decide this on the spot. She thought about it a lot. And up until the last minute, she wanted to make sure that this was the best choice. Not just for her, but for all the other slaves who had suffered, as well as her people. She wasn't making a rash or impulsive choice. In that moment, she embraced the Dothraki warlike culture because... This was what she needed to do. This is war. Danny didn't command every person over 12 to be killed. I have seen people paraphrasing the shit out of this phrase. She ordered the death of every man wearing a toker and slash or hold a whip. So masters, not every freeborn in the city and for the children under 12, not just to be spared, but to remain completely unharmed. We never saw a child in the city wearing a toker or holding a whip. Daenerys is very observant. She was describing the garment and all the people she saw wearing it. If a child was among them, I'm fairly sure she would have noticed. And this brings me again to the age thing. If there were some 13-14 year old slavers, Daenerys doesn't think of them as children. Because guess what? She doesn't view herself as a child and she's pretty much the same age as them. At 14, she was sold and became Khaleesi and pregnant. And there are other 14 year olds in the Unsullied. It is very sad, but she doesn't consider teens children because she herself is one and has been treated as an adult for the past years by everyone. Also, this is a pet peeve of mine, but if someone is judging Danny for killing hypothetical 13-14 year old slaves, then they must have a problem with the armies of the Northmen, where we see green boys, meaning 12-15 to year olds, 
And of course, killing Joffrey was also wrong, since he was a kid after all, he died at 13. Stannis, considering killing Edric Storm too. This is war. I don't know why Daenerys' choice are seen as different from all the other very harsh decisions the Lords of Westeros are taking. She doesn't even use the dragons most of the time. She used them once in a plan she devised in one night. What do you think that Northmen, some of them very young, didn't die for Rob's cause? Or Stannis's? The Blackwater was a massacre, and Stannis, unlike Danny, burns people constantly. In a war, all sides commit atrocities. It is the sad truth of war. It is crazy how in a war the worst and the best of people come out at the same time. In Westeros, people are fighting for the throne, for vengeance, for justice, whatever, and small folk pay for this. Or do you think that only the Lannister men committed atrocities in the Riverlands? We have seen what was going on. Rob's men maybe weren't Gregor, but they did their fair share of killing, looting, and raping when they were at Riverlands and the Westerlands. In Essos, Daenerys is freeing slaves, people who are considered non-humans by the ruling class, not to play savior, because if it was just that, she would have used the dragons every single time and things would have been much easier for her. But she doesn't. She herself began as a slave at barley 14. She has empathy for them. This is a revolution and revolutions are bloody, but also many times necessary, like this one. A revolution to crush a system that not only profits, but also enjoys this treatment of people. The decisions are hard and the leaders have the power and cares of taking these decisions and have more blood on their hands than most people. Daenerys and John are the only people in the series who understand how difficult this is. But unlike Stannis, do not see things as clean-cut and clinical because they are not. This image of power-hungry, ruthless and arrogant Daenerys is a headcanon at best. She isn't power-hungry. If she was, she has the means to achieve it. It is called dragons. We are talking about a person that people spit it on and she didn't even blink. Daenerys' actions are on par with the crime. And I'm gonna say it, I don't care if she killed all the slavers as she did with Krasnes. In Yunkai, she wanted to do the least damage possible. In Yunkai, a city where they trained little kids to be sex slaves and entertainers. They offered her money. If she just wanted to become queen in Westeros, she could have taken them. But she didn't, because this is not the most important thing when you see what is going on in these places. And guess what? When the battle happened outside of the city and she won and they surrendered, she didn't sack the city because she isn't a crazy, bloodthirsty queen who reigns with fire and blood. And when she left, the Yungai returned and resumed training kids for pleasure houses. The Mirinese brought the crucifixions and the sack upon themselves. The great masters of Mirin had withdrawn before Danny's advance, harvesting all they could and burning what they could not harvest. Scorched fields and poisoned wells had greeted her at every hand. Worst of all, they had nailed a slave child upon every milepost along the coast road from Yungai. Nailed them up, still living, with their entrails hanging out and one arm always outstretched to point the way to Mirin. Lady Hirvan, Dario had given orders for the children to be taken down before Danny could see them, but she had countermanded him as soon as she was told. I will see them, she said. I will see everyone and count them and look upon their faces and I will remember. By the time they came to Mirin, sitting on the south coast beside the river, the count stood at 163. If you're reading this, one of the most brutal actions we have seen in A Song of Ice and Fire and still say, but Danny should that blah blah blah, then I don't know what to say. And again, Daenerys says that at the moment she was mad, she was very mad and she knew it was harsh. She even pitied them when she went to see them. The masters on the other side took pride and joy in doing this to little children. So no, Daenerys isn't the same as them. 
They nailed children and tried to starve the huge amount of people Daenerys had with her. Danny's people would sack the city because people need to eat, not just to stop the masters. And you know, we have an instance where we see Danny's worst crime. According to people, she committed it against. It is the crucifixions. It is the burning. Let's see. They say, said Haldon, by they you mean the slavers, the exiles she drove from Astapor and Virin, mere calumnies. The best calumnies are spiced with truth. But the girl's true sin cannot be denied. This arrogant child had taken upon herself to smash the slave trade. But that traffic was never confined to Slaver's Bay. It was part of the sea of trade that spanned the world, and the Dragon Queen had clouded the water. Behind the black wall, lords of ancient blood sleep poorly, listening as their kids and slaves sharpen their long knives. Slaves grow our food, clean our streets, teach our youth. They guard our walls, row our galleys, fight our battles. And now when they look east, they see this young queen shining from afar, this breaker of chains. The old blood cannot suffer that, poor mare hate her too. Even the vilest beggar stands higher than a slave. This dragon queen could rob him of that consolation. So yeah, all the things about Daenerys are stuff the slavers say. The slavers do not care about the executed slavers, they care about the slave trade, their comfort, money and pleasure, and do not give a damn about morals because they do not have any. The moment anything bad happens that she could somehow stop it, she does whatever she can to fix it or at least prevent anything similar from happening again. The accident with Hazea is one example. She locked the dragons for this reason, exactly, and no, this was not Tani's fault. We had never seen similar accidents before that. If the poorly trained shaggy dog ate a little kid because Rickon was pissed, would anyone blame Rickon? Yes, Daenerys made mistakes, because she is a kid without proper training in politics. But guess what? She still does her best. She tried not to kill the slavers, she tried not to be merciless, and they took advantage of her. Even slavers know that Daenerys is not what their slanderous stories claim. Because when Daenerys asked for the kid of the masters as hostages, they gave them up, because they are sure that she would not do anything to harm them. And slaves stopped seeing her as infallible the moment she tried to compromise with the masters. The slaver cities weren't peaceful after her wedding with Hisdar. Mirin had people still using slaves, like Hisdar, and Astapori and Yunkai started slave trading again. Compromising with these people isn't a choice. And this brings me to the big question. Will she put an end to this situation with fire and blood? Yes, she will. And no, she isn't impulsive or mad for doing so. She will burn Mirin, and she will burn Volantis. And guess what? The only people who care about that are the slavers. And we know this because of the widow of the waterfront. How generous, but I have worn iron in my time, and now I find that I prefer gold and silver. And sad to say, this is Volantis where feathers and chains are cheaper than day-old bread, and it is forbidden to help a slave escape. I'm no slave. Every man ever taken by slavers sings the same sad song. I dare not help you. Here. She leaned forward again. The coxaloracic horan will set sail for Carth, by way of new geese, carrying tin and iron, bales and wool and lace, fifty mirish carpets, a corpse pickled in brine, twenty jars of dragon peppers, and a red priest. Be on her when she sails. We will, said Tyrion. And thank you. Sir Jorah frowned. Carth is not our destination. She will never reach Carth. Benero has seen it in his fires. The crone smile, a vulpin smile. As you say, Tyrion grinned. If I were Volantine and free and had the blood, you'd have my vote for Dryer, my lady. I'm no lady, the widow replied. Just Vogaros Hor. You want to be gone from here before the tigers come. Should you reach your queen, give her a message from the slaves of old Volantis. She touched the faded scar upon her wrinkled cheek, where the tears have been cut away. Tell her we are waiting. Tell her to come soon. 
If Danny has vacillations about what she needs to do, she will forget about them the moment she takes this message. The slaves are waiting for her. And unlike the slaves of other cities, these ones believe in Rolor. And if sacrificing their lives so that people in the future can have a better life than them, then they are willing. Let's not forget that escaped slaves from Valeria, the founders of Bravos, risked their lives for freedom. Wanna bet whether in a city like Volantis the slaves had the same mindset? Escaped slaves created a religion like the many-faced god, where death not only is inescapable and necessary, but sometimes death is the only way to bring peace. The slave population of Valyria prayed for deliverance to the same god of death. They believed that death is a merciful end to suffering. All gods have their instruments, men and women, who serve them and help to work their will on earth. The slaves were not crying out to hundred different gods, but one god with a hundred different faces. And he was the god's instrument. That very night, he chose the most wretched of the slaves, the one who had prayed most earnestly for release and freed him from his bondage. The first gift had been given. Arya drew back from him. He killed a slave? That did not sound right. He should have killed the masters. He would bring the gift to them as well, but that is a tale for another day. One best shared with no one. And who are you, child? There it is. The slaves believed that death was a gift that not only brings them peace, but will bring the masters closer to their death as well. Daenerys will burn the slaver cities and Volantis, and the fire priests who are slaves themselves, as well as the rest of the slaves, are waiting for her, knowing that people will die, but they are willing if this means that every master in the known world would be afraid. Burning Volantis and the slaver cities, which are the worst offenders, but not the only ones, would give courage to the slaves of Essos to break their chains and revolt, even without Daenerys. And this is what the masters fear the most. These cities have more slaves than free men. In Volantis, there are five slaves for every free man. And in Cohor and Norvos, there are even rumors about the use of slaves for blood magic and even infants. Do you know why the slaves in Volantis are waiting? Not just because their lives are atrocious, but because they have faith. The Valyrians allowed many different religions to exist, to keep the slaves at bay. But the Volantine missed the mark. Religions unite people, give them hope, and offer them a moral sanctuary, common ground to oppose their enemies. If they die doing the right thing, they will be granted a good afterlife, and their oppressors will be eternally tortured for their wrongdoings. And these slaves believe in a fire god. They support Daenerys because they support Rolor. She brought the fire in the world again, and unlike her predecessors, she is using that fire for good. Yes, mass killings are not benevolent, and Dany will feel and be guilty to some extent. But in a war, especially in a war for freedom, where the people involved are literally fighting for themselves and their lives, Cruel actions will be taken, and sadly these are necessary because this is war. And war isn't just glorious, but gruesome as well. I think Martin himself has explained it best. War is so central to fantasy, and yet it's these bloodless wars where the heroes are killing unending orcs and the heroes are not being killed. I think that if you're going to write about war and violence, there's show the cost. Show how ugly it is. Show both sides of it. There's also the other side, which sometimes get me in trouble with the opposite side of the political spectrum. The glory of war. Those of us who are opposed to war tend to try to pretend it doesn't exist, but if you read the ancient historical sources, people are always talking about the banner that stirred the hearts. I think that if you're going to write about that period, then you should reflect honestly what it's about and capture both sides of it. What Daenerys is doing is glorious. She gave hope. She gave hope to people who woke up every day and wished for death. But it's also war, and wars are horrifying. 
And that brings me to Westeros. No, Daenerys will not burn King's Landing, lol. Daenerys will most likely not burn kids in Westeros in general. Thelonious Piggy Lacroix, can you stop pretending if you've already read the book? Nobody knows what you're talking about with this Danny Burns children at the Water Garden thing. This is George Martin on his not a blog, The Water Gardens Beat. Ah, uh, no. Danny still has the sheets somewhere in the Jotraki Sea. And she will have to see the Slaver's Bay campaign through because this is her story. This is what she cared about. We always see her fretting over the people and the situation in Mirin, Astapor, and Yunkai. This is her Game of Thrones. Your quarrel is not with us, Your Grace. Why scatter your strength against our mighty walls when you will need every man to regain your father's throne in Far Westeros? Yungai wishes you only well in this endeavor, and to prove the truth of that, I brought you a gift. Very pretty. I wonder how many chests like this I shall find when I take your city? We see her saying that she hasn't forgotten Westeros, yet still she's always thinking about the situation at Slaver's Bay. Aegon the Conqueror had won Westeros with three dragons, but she had taken Mirin with sewer rats and a wooden cock in less than a day. She thinks of Aegon where she thinks about her situation in Essos. My children need time to heal and learn. My dragons need time to grow and test their wings. And I need the same. I will not let the city go the way of Astapor. I will not let the harpy of Yunkai chain up those I freed all over again. She turned back to look at their faces. I will not march. As far as politics goes, Danny's game is in Essos. She will go to Westeros, but the others and Euron will be much bigger issues than her campaign for the throne. That night she dreamt that she was Rhaegar, riding to the Trident, but she was mounted on a dragon, not a horse. When she saw the usurper's rebel host across the river, they were armored old in ice. And she bathed them in dragon fire, and they melted away like dew and turned the Trident into a torrent. There, Danny's fate in Westeros is connected to the big game and not merely to the Iron Throne. King's Landing will most likely be burned by John Connington. His whole arc is about the bells and about how setting stone is set on fire could have won the war and saved Draegar. He's ravaged by guilt and doubts and he feels that he can make it up to his silver prince by helping his son. And if that goes badly and young Riff dies, which by the way I find very physical, he'll have nothing to lose. On top of that, he also has grayscale, which we know is a condition that can mess with someone's judgment and mental faculties in general. If there is a conflict between Young Griff's crew and Danny, and considering how much she wishes she wasn't the last of her line, I really don't see her having a problem with Aegon, but with Illyrio. So if for whatever reason one of the dragon kids throws a tantrum, guess who is it gonna be? Daenerys who can keep her cool even when people treat her more than disrespectfully? Or Young Griff who threw a tantrum because he lost the Sibes? All in all, I doubt that Daenerys and Young Griff will have much of an interaction, because Aegon Smell dead from the moment they introduced him to us. Sorry, not sorry. Like, maybe it's just me, but the fact that they gave him the chain of black iron with three huge square-cut rubies reminiscent of the Valyrian steel crown of Aegon the Conqueror reads a little bit of a low-cost conqueror. Aegon from Walmart. I don't think there is another person constantly thinking about madness in the novel as much as Daenerys, but it's not in the way people often portray it. She thinks about madness when she is having dragon dreams, which makes sense since people with dragon dreams are often perceived as mad. The funny thing is that Targaryen men with dreams tend to actually become mad. Arion and Aerys type of mad. On the contrary, women dreamers do not. Dani has zero tendencies towards what people accused her of. This is show Dani, not book Dani. Helena was considered mad, but guess what? 
She wasn't, apparently. And if Danis the Dreamer wasn't from Valyria, where people were very much invested in magic, I can guarantee she would be considered mad. Could it be a pattern? I don't know. If you ask me, I wouldn't find it weird. After all, when she talks about madness at the beginning of the A Song of Ice and Fire, it's when dreams and magic are involved. No, he cannot have my son. She would not weep, she decided. She would not shiver with fear. The usurper has woken the dragon now, she told herself, and her eyes went to the dragon edge, resting in their nest of dark velvet. The shifting lamplight limed their stony scales and shimmering notes of jade and scarlet and gold, swam in the air around them like courtiers around the king. Was madness that seized her then? Born of fear or some strange wisdom buried in her blood? Danny could not have said. She heard her own voice saying, Sir Jorah, light the brazier. As she climbed down of the pyre, she noticed Mirima's door watching her. You are mad, the god's wife said hoarsely. Is it so far from madness to wisdom? Daenerys was sensing magic. She had instincts and dreams. There are moments when even she herself wonders, what the fuck? The rest of these instances are after she has learned the truth about her father from Baristan. And she's even more cautious about her actions because she's scared that she'd become a monster like Eris was. Do you know who doesn't do this? People who are actually starting to losing it. Why ask the truth, Sir Baristan said softly, if you close your ears to it? He hesitated and continued. I told you before that I used a false name so the Lannister could not know that I joined you. That was less than half of it, Your Grace. The truth is, I wanted to watch you for a time before pledging you my sword, to make certain that you were not my father's daughter. If she was not your father's daughter, who was she? Mad, he finished. But I see no taint in you. Baristan waited here and chose here. And he will not leave your side. He will die protecting a person that deserves that protection. A person that he chose. Even her white cloaks chose her. On the A Dance with Dragon cover for Brazil, I put Daenerys at the top of the stairs of the Merini's pyramid. I had undoubtedly been unconsciously influenced by the series. And George told me that Daenerys wants equality for everyone. She wants to be at the same level as her people. So I had her climb down to keep it consistent. The second dance of dragons does not have to mean Danny's invasion. This is from So Spake Martin 2006. George stopped himself short and said he shouldn't say any more. All these theories do not have that much base and many of the flaws that are attributed to her are either based on the show or people completely misreading her chapters. Hell, even an origin artist for the novels admitted that he was heavily influenced by the series without realizing it. Martin himself always talks about Danny fondly. He talks about her being funny and wanting equality. She is the only person that can follow her own instincts on magic without any help or guidance apart from Quaith once or twice. From my videos, you probably have guessed that yes, I am not the biggest fan of Targs. But as I have said, it is mostly because many of their storylines bore me. I also get a tad icky with the way many of them interpret the prophecy, like hard eye rolling. Note that the last kingdom in Westeros, Dorne, became a part of the realm through peace. And war is not always the solution, even though necessary sometimes. And I am even less cool with Valyrians in general. They deserve the doom. Maybe they were not the first slavers, but they were among the worst. That being said, this is why Daenerys is a great character, though. She is using the power the Valyrians had to remove the institution her predecessors established. And before using fire and blood, she tries for peace. Fire can be as destructive as ice. We have Melisandre as proof, a person who I criticized before in videos, as well as Cersei with the pyromancers. But Daenerys doesn't use it recklessly.
From Martin's words, I doubt Daenerys would be involved with any burning in Westeros, but she will burn Slaver's Bay and Volantis. Whether you agree or not, it's still something that has nothing to do with her being mad and ruthless. To go north, you must go south. To reach the west, you must go east. To go forward, you must go back. To touch the light, you must pass beneath the shadow. And to clean my home, I must get my hands dirty. I think I will finish the video here with one last quote from Martin, and the conclusions are all yours. I never helped much with slavery. You can't just go using another kind of people like they wasn't people at all. Know what I mean? Go to end, sooner or later. Better if it ends peacefully, but it's got to end even if it has to be with fire and blood. You see?